Blog Talk Radio. Hey folks, this is State of the Youth Podcast. Welcome. Uh, today we're going to talk about all things games related. We're going to get off topic a little bit eventually and talk some NFL. Um, but I want to start out welcoming our co-host to the show, Scott Salamon. How you doing today, Scott? Good afternoon. So, Scott, let's get right into it. I mean, Monday's Labor Day game was a debacle of sorts. There's been a lot of heat coming from Canes fans. Um, people are calling for coaches' heads. Uh, people are dissatisfied with the offense. Uh, you know, last night was a bit of a breather against FAMU. They pretty much rolled to victory, even though, you know, they're a little sloppy on offense again. Uh, uh, give me a summary of what you've seen so far this season. Uh, I've seen a lot of confusion, and I, I don't think they're all operating on the same page, which which really concerns me because Arkansas State coming in this week is a very good football team. Uh, I don't like the play calling. Um, I'm not a fan of just establishing the run uh, and not set up the pass. Uh, I, I don't like the fact that we have all this talent at the wideout position and we don't take advantage of it. Uh, the post pattern that they ran to, to Dorsett last night in the end zone was a great play, but it was one of the, the only posts that they ran the whole night. Uh, there's, there's just too many weapons available uh, that, that they're not using, and, and that really is very concerning because you're going to need them all when you go to Nebraska. Um, I think Absolutely. there's a fan base. I think that the fan base is, is very concerned, and I think they have a right to be concerned. Uh, I, for one, am concerned. Um, I, I just think that they're, they're too vanilla. They're, they're too predictable. Uh, at some point, all you got to do is put eight or nine in the box, and you're going to stop the run. You're going to force Kaya to pass, and they're still not going to pass it. I think, though, that they tried to open things up a little bit. The first play of the game was a 20-yard you know, completion on an in route to Herb Waters. I thought that was a good way to start the game. Um, you saw some nice passes. The fourth down pass uh, to Braxton Berrios in the third quarter was, was really nice. Uh, the completion, yeah, to Dorsett was not Kaya's best throw. It was a great play by Dorsett. We kind of hung him out to dry there, and he was fortunate that Dorsett was able to make a great play in the back of the end zone. Um, I thought both of his interceptions – you know, uh, were, were bad passes. He led Waters too much to the inside on the first one in the first half. The second one hit Walford right in the hands, and that's one you expect the big tight end to catch usually. Um, I, I think what we saw last night was an evolved Kaya, but not evolved to the point where he's ready for a Nebraska per se or Virginia Tech certainly, you know, coming off a big win against Ohio State last night. They looked phenomenal and, and definitely not an FSU yet. Um, you know, if on a one to ten he was a three against Louisville, and and we all agree that the play calling and you know some of the uh, protection was terrible in Louisville, but let's just say we grade Kai on a one to ten, a three against Louisville, he was maybe a four or a five last night, in my opinion. So you saw subtle progressions, but um, you know he had a really bad pass in the two minute drill to Joe Yearby. You know that that's one he's got to definitely complete, and um. You know, and it goes hand in hand. I'll say this. If the protection against Louisville was on a 1-10, a 2, it was only a 3 last night, and they had bad 
you know, they, they protected them a little bit better, but they had bad penalties. Uh, they had missed blocks in the run game. Uh, a lot of what it was accomplished was purely Duke Johnson and Joe Yearby making runs for themselves. And, um, you know, the play calling maybe opened up a little bit last night, but probably not as much as Kane fans like. Uh, you know, I thought they, they tried to pass a little bit earlier, a little bit earlier on first and second down. Uh, largely, you know, it was still short passes, and largely they still, you know, mostly use the run. So uh, all around, it's hard to gauge too much what we saw last night because the opponent was an FCS school and not a good FCS school at that. And I think we're going to learn a lot more this week against Arkansas State, and I hope that they continue to improve. But uh, let, let's let's move on. We're, we're going to come back to this topic several times on this show. We're going to break down some of the players as we go on. Um, but but let's talk about the defense for a second, Scott. Now, now I know the team as a whole. You're like most Kings fans. You know most members of the media. Uh, very very um, scorning in terms of how you're grading them. But the defense has been a real bright spot, in my opinion. What are you seeing from the defense? I'm seeing a very good pass rush. Uh, I think that uh, Thurston Armbruster is playing extremely well. Uh, I think that Tyreek McCord is is coming off the edge very well. Uh, Chicago is playing great, uh, and they're putting a lot of pressure on the quarterback, which is easing up the uh, the cornerbacks the, the uh, and knocking the receivers out of their routes. I think that uh, they're playing very well. I think there's still a little thin linebacker uh, when they drop in the pass coverage. Uh, they showed that last night when, when Turner came out of the game. And he's a guy that's usually all over the field. Uh, but I'm very impressed with what I've seen out of the defense these first few games. Uh, even at Louisville, I, I just thought they were on the field too long and too often. Uh, you can't have your offense go three and out every single drive and expect the defense to be able to hold them. It's not that deep. And they're going to play a lot of true freshmen the way they did last night. And against a school like Florida A&M, you can get away with that. But you, you might not necessarily get away with that at Nebraska. Right. And I'll I'll say this, too. I've been impressed with the defense. Uh, Denzel Perryman's been a beast. Uh, Cortell Jenkins has been a real pleasant surprise. I think we were all looking for Hurtaloo and Weish to be kind of the stalwarts. And Hurtaloo's played well as well. And uh, uh, Olsen Pierre has looked okay at times too so the defensive line has been a little better than expected but Cortell Jenkins to me out of um, um, all the players that have played that maybe you weren't expecting that much from he's been a real pleasant surprise he looks really stout up front um, so that's a good <laughs> sign but on, on, on the negatives of defense the defensive backfield hasn't lived up to its potential yet um, what are you seeing there Scott what, what do they need to improve and, I, thought and Tracy horrible. I, I thought Tracy Howard was horrible last night I thought he played with with no zest. He didn't play with, with with any of the vim and vigor that he usually brings to the table. I don't know if if he just wasn't uh, giving uh, any respect to the opponent. You know, you know, you say, how do you give up 114 yards on defense and your cornerbacks don't play well? He he got beat on a couple of inside routes that he normally uh, won't bite on, and he was was giving the receivers far too much room off the ball. Uh, I don't know if that's something that was that was coached, uh, or if that was just his call off the line. Uh, but I didn't think he played uh, 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 particularly well. I didn't think it was that Ladarius Gunther played 
uh, that well either. Um, I think that uh, they, they just weren't playing their, their attacking mode of football that you normally see out of the backfield. The backfield is usually the strong suit, and last night it wasn't. Last night I thought it was their Achilles heel. Yeah, to your point, what I was seeing was a lot of back shoulder fades by FAMU, and there are three plays in particular. Two were Howard, and I think one was with Arius Gunter, where the, the Miami corners just didn't get their head turned around to make a play on the ball. And they allowed, you know, FAMU players that were relatively well covered uh, to make easy reception, receptions because they just didn't make adjustments. And, you know, that that's something that they've got to get corrected uh, for sure. And, and like you said, they only really gave up, you know, 110, 115 yards of total offense. So we we could be nitpicking a little bit here, but... I think you see signs, like you're saying, in the defensive backfield when they play better teams um, of things that they're going to have to get corrected, and and they definitely have to make better plays on the ball, that's for sure. Um, so, I mean, keeping with that theme of the defense, I, I think you mentioned him earlier. Um, Armbrister uh, is playing out of his mind right now. Um, he played really well against Louisville. He played really well. Uh, last night, and he's a guy that I wasn't looking for that much from. I thought that maybe we'd get that type of play out of Raphael Kirby, but Kirby hasn't done much in the first two games. Uh, Jermaine Grace showed up big time in the special teams, but I haven't seen that much from him yet on defense, and another guy uh, that we were expecting more from was uh, the freshman Chad Thomas, and he seems to be coming along slowly as well. Uh, Can you give me your impression on on those players, aside from Armbrister that you already uh, covered? Well, in, in, in talking with, with Coach Golden this afternoon, he was very high on Jermaine Grace. He, he said that he scored very well last night, and he said it was almost like his coming out party. Uh, he, he was very impressed with his play. Chad Thomas really didn't get a lot of reps. I don't think he got into the game until late third quarter. Uh, they just happened to have a lot of players at the same positions, uh, on the defensive front, and and they're stuck with their rotation. Uh, Thomas will get his reps. I think they wanted to see some other players last night. You really can't gauge by who played last night and who didn't because last night was like the bonfire night. They were just burning red shirts left and right uh, with all the true freshmen that actually saw the field. Uh, I think that, that Thomas is going to get more reps uh, this week, and he'll certainly get a lot of reps in that. At, at Nebraska, I think they just wanted to see a lot of different players last night that they might not have had a chance to take a look at against Louisville. Absolutely. Um, and, and it's interesting you bring up the, the bonfire of the red shirts, which we can call it. Um, I, I noticed that, especially in the second half, they played a lot of players. Uh, Tyre Brady at wide receiver is a guy who I thought uh, might red shirt, um, but he ended up uh, playing some last night. I think they targeted him on one of the post patterns, and, and he was able to make, make the, the play on it. Um wasn't the best throw either. But, yeah, pretty pretty interesting. Uh, you know, the starting of Kaya over heaps, the burning of red shirts. Uh, I know the listeners are not going to be too pleased with me saying this, but I'm going to give the coaches a little credit. They're going for it now, whether that's wise long-term or not. It, it seems like they're trying to maximize this team. Uh, before we move on to the next question, it looks like we have another another uh, panelist on. Who just joined? Uh, Alejandro is on right now. Alejandro, 
Alejandro, is this your first podcast with us? No, this is my second one, actually. Oh, that's right. The that's first, right. The first well, one was way back in the Eastern Conference playoffs. Oh, wow, yeah. I think you were uh, a big supporter of the Heat on that call. <laughs> of course, of course. But, uh, Alejandro, let me bring you into the mix. Scott and I are discussing the first two games. We're, we're talking about some of the players that have played well and some that haven't. Uh, give me your impressions of the first two games. What do you like to see more of and, and what you're disappointed in? You know, I've actually liked to see Brad Kaya um, run the ball a little. I thought yesterday he had a few opportunities to run, get some yardage, but I don't know if he was scared or or they've just instructed him to throw the ball. But I'd like to see a little more of that. Um, I'd like to see the, the cornerbacks play more physical. I feel like They've been giving up a lot of easy plays that shouldn't be given up, especially Tracy Howard. And but what I've really liked is is Thurston Armbister. I think Thurston, he's been one of our best players, if not our best player, the last two weeks. And Chicklow as well, Cortell Jenkins. Overall, I feel like our defense is playing well. It's just a matter of play calling with zone coverages and stuff like that. But I like the way I like the way uh, Chicklow's playing. Cortell, Cortell, he's getting a lot of playing time, and I like to see that. I mean, as a freshman, I'm sure he didn't expect to play as much, but he's doing well. I'm surprised Demetrius Jackson did he play did he play yesterday? Uh, you know, if he did, I didn't notice it. I, I did see, you know, I did see Chad Thomas on the field. I did see a yeah. lot of. Um, uh, Trent Harris. And Trent Harris played well, mm-hmm. by the way. He didn't just play a lot. He played well. Uh, I did not know, notice Demetrius if he was in there. Uh, I wasn't charting uh, all the players in the plays last night. I was kind of going back and forth between Twitter, uh, the uh-huh. game thread, and, and doing a little bit of writing. So I didn't chart every play, every player, but I didn't see Demetrius in there. That, that's that's interesting you bring him up because the coaches had built him up uh, to the point where you know, I thought he would be playing uh, this early on, and I, I have not—I haven't noticed him. Um, yeah, especially especially D'Onofrio. D'Onofrio, all through camp, has been just praising Demetrius, saying he just gets better every single week, and he's going to be big for them. But then, and then on Wednesday when they spoke to the media, he said that he'll have the chance to compete. But I didn't hear about him or see him anywhere. Right. Well, another guy that hasn't played, and I'm going to ask both of you gentlemen about this very cautiously because we know we're not going to get an answer from the University of Miami. I've gotten yeah. no less than 20 questions on social media, you know, <laughs> the first two weeks of the season about Al-Qadim Muhammad. He did not play again yesterday. There is definitely something disciplinary going on there. Um, you know, Al Golden has mentioned that it goes it's something on the university level. It's not just an athletics level. So he's not allowed to comment. So we may never get the whole story on that. Um how, how disappointed are you guys and I mean me personally, I thought Muhammad, I picked him as one of three breakout players for this year on the entire roster. Uh how disappointed are you guys and and what can Miami do to make make up for his absence? You know, should it be an extended one? I'll start with you on this one, Scott. First of all, I'm more upset we don't know why he's not playing. I think that they owe it to us to tell us uh, at least, you know, whether it's academic-related or, 
whether they, you know there was some other incident. Um, I mean, I, I, I would like to know, and I, I think that the fans want to know that as well. Uh, I mean, I had heard rumors, but I, I, I don't know whether or not uh, or how, how accurate they are. Um, he was supposed to, to to be a breakout player this year. He he and Tariq, I mean, this was going to be their year to shine. And for him not to play and for us not to know why uh, is very disconcerting. Um, I think that this coaching staff has a history of not talking too much in terms of uh, housekeeping matters. You know, we know whenever a player gets injured, it's because some extremity – uh, whether it's an upper extremity or a lower extremity, was injured. Uh, and, you know, we need to know more. This is information. If people have questions, people want answers. I, I have a question, and I'm not getting an answer to it, and it's very disconcerting for me. And and, and with that topic, and I'm going to – Ollie, give me a second, and I'm going to come back to you on, on AQM. But Kevin Olsen uh, was not dressed again. Um, I think we can all conclude at this point that Kevin Olsen is not going to be a part of the quarterback picture for this season at least, and, and, and maybe you know not even going forward into future seasons. But I thought the suspension was for one game. So it's interesting to me, I mean, you know, God forbid Kaya gets hurt. We know Heaps is his, is his backup. You know, Malik Brozier is one at depth chart. But I, I, I'm really curious what's going on with Olsen, whether it's just performance at this point or if the suspension's carried over? Because I know you didn't dress for yesterday's game. But, uh, Ali, well, I want to get your perspective on, 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 on AQM. Sorry, sorry, guys. I'll come back to you in a second, Scott. Well, I feel the same way as Scott. I think we should all get answers from the media, from Coach Golden, because if there's one thing that's come out of Al Golden's mouth repeatedly throughout these last few weeks, it's been the word personal issue. It came up. It came up when Joe Yearby didn't go to practice, so it was a personal issue. It came up now with Kai Hester, who apparently is in New Jersey with his sick mother or something. I have no idea what's going on with him. That's a personal issue as well. And now Muhammad. We remember when he wasn't at practice. We didn't know what was going on. He came to practice the next day, but he wasn't really participating in drills. And now he's dressing in games. I mean. Saying that it's a it's a personal matter and saying that he's going to get back to us, I don't think that's fair because Muhammad was supposed to be a big part of this defense and he was having an incredible camp. And then all of a sudden he doesn't play. It's not an NCAA suspension. And if it's academic, why can't they let us know? I, I mean, it's just really it's sketchy. It's a sketchy thing, um, and I'm really confused as to why we haven't been told anything yet after two weeks of play. Yeah, and I, I'm going to come back to you in a second and ask you what the team needs to make to do to make up for his loss, Ali, but I know Scott had another point about this subject. Go ahead, Scott. Uh, oh, I lost my train of thought. Uh, I was going to comment on Kevin Olsen. Coach uh, Golden made it clear that the suspension is now over, so apparently it was a two-game suspension. And he said he's, now he's good going forward. Now, whether or not he's going to dress is another story because how many quarterbacks are you going to dress? Uh, if four quarterbacks, uh, I think they're going to dress Rozier. I think they're going to uh, dress 
uh, heaps, and Ryan Williams is ready to, to come back. He dressed out last night. So uh, I don't see Kevin Olsen dressing yet. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, that that kind of goes along with what we've been suspecting here for a while now, that, that Kevin Olsen, not only for disciplinary reasons, but for performance reasons, you know, is now way down on the depth chart to where, you know, a true freshman Malik Rozier is probably ahead of him. So, uh, you know, it's becoming a moot point to even talk about Olsen. I, I kind of just brought him up because I initially thought he was only suspended for one game, and I was curious whether or not if he's not dressing, it's just simply performance or, or suspension. So that, that's pretty interesting. Um, but, guys, I, I, I'll i go back to you first on this one, Alejandro. What do they need to do to make up for AQM? Uh, Chad Thomas hasn't been lights out just yet. I know McCord is doing a lot, but do they have enough pass rushers now on this team? Is it, is it just going to be Chicolo and guys like that are going to make up for his absence? What do you think, Alex? I think it, I think it has to be Chicolo and, and those guys that make up for him because I think we all knew or we all thought that once this Aquadin Muhammad news broke out, that we don't know why he's not going to play, but I don't think he's going to play this season, that Chad Thomas was going to be that guy that he's going to get a bunch of playing time. Uh, we should have seen the playing time yesterday starting in the second quarter when we were already up 21-0 because he's going to be that guy for the next two or three years. And I think Chad Thomas is supposed to be the one filling in for Muhammad's role. But we'll have to see because this defense, a lot of people are calling for D'Onofrio's head and yes, 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 but they've actually been playing, been playing well. They didn't give up a touchdown yesterday. That was all on special teams. And I guess Louisville, they were gassed at the end, but they made up for that touchdown at the beginning of the game. And I don't know. I mean, we'll have to see. I think Nebraska is going to tell us a lot about how this defense is right now. Yeah, and just to rewind for a second, I, I don't want to, you know, beat a dead horse here, but, you know, for the folks that are asking all of us these questions, yes, we are credentialed through University of Miami. Yes, we do get information, and we try and, you know, give it as much as we can to the fans and to the readers, but we're not going to get anything on AQM. But to stick with our theme of, of questioning this coaching staff, and I don't want to bash them too much because it is a touchy subject with AQM. What's really odd to me is that game one, he was dressed but not in full pads. Game two, he was dressed and in full pads and didn't play. It's almost like a teaser. So I, I, I really, you know, I, I'm, I'm really frustrated with, with the information that we're getting or the lack thereof, and there's, there's really no answers right now on AQM. But let's push forward, guys. Um, let, let, let's talk about uh, what's coming up in, in the coming weeks. Um, we know Nebraska's coming. We know next week is not going to be as easy with Arkansas State as FAMU. Um, what, are, what are two areas you guys want to see the team improve on, and what are your expectations for the next two weeks? I'll start with you here, Scott. I want to see them open up the damn playbook. I want to see them throw passes at – Stephen Morris would have thrown last year. Uh, take the risk. If he throws a pick, he throws a pick. But give the kid the experience and let him throw the football. I'm tired of watching him hand the ball off. I want him to open up the offense. 
take a shot because you're going to need those plays against Nebraska. If you don't think that Nebraska is going to sack the box with eight and nine going after Duke and Yerby, then everyone's crazy. This kid, in order to win, needs to throw the damn football, and that's what I wanted to see. I sound a little like Stephen A. Smith, but throw the football. I want to see them open the playbook. I want to see them put this kid at risk. Let him go into some dangerous situations and see how he does. If he takes a sack, he takes a sack. If he gets a pick, he gets a pick. But we're not going to know unless he tries it. I know he's running these plays in practice. I'm sure he's not just handling the ball off to uh, to Yerby and Duke in practice, and that's how he won the job. What did he do to win the job, and how come we're not seeing it on the field? That's what I want to know. Yeah, I kind of said uh, it better yeah. than Scott. I mean... Uh, Go ahead, Skip. Go ahead. I mean, Ali. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, exactly what he said. How did he win the job if, I mean, he had to have thrown the ball, obviously. But, I mean, I think the song Trust Issues by Drake was based on Coach Golden and Coach Coley with Kaya. I don't know why they don't have him throwing the ball deep with guys like Stacey Coley, Malcolm Lewis. I mean, this is arguably the deepest receiving core that he's going to have in his Miami tenure. And I don't know why they just don't have him throw the ball. I mean, you you guys, yes, you handed it off to Gus Edwards for a touchdown yesterday. Yeah, you had another touchdown with Duke. But those are the type of games, Arkansas State and FAMU, those are the types of games where you got to let him grow. You have to let him experience different options, the fade route. you got to let him roll out, naked bootlegs, something like that to let him mature. But, I don't know, we'll see you against Arkansas State next week. I'm with you guys, too. Um, I, I don't like the empty sets because I'm, I'm concerned about protection right now. But I'd like to see them do a little bit more three wide receiver sets, maybe three wide receivers, two backs, you know, maybe three wide receivers, a tight end, one back. You know, put in your best blocking tight end to beef up the protection. You know, Duke Johnson is capable of protection. He's shown that you know, time and time again in three years at UM, and send the guys down the field. Cut the field in half, you know, run some, some option routes where you have, you know, three trips to the right, and, you know, you send one guy on the left down the field to, to try and freeze the safety, and, and you, you give him an easy read. You know, cut the field in half. Do some more creative things, some things that I've seen, you know, so many coaches with young quarterbacks – I hate to bring up this example, but it's the most logical one for me, and it's an NFL example, so it's not apples and oranges. But Geno Smith as a rookie last year was terrible through 14 games, and he had two good games at the end. And the reason why is because they cut the field in half. They basically told him, you're not going to be looking at the field from left to right anymore. You're just going to be looking at the field from, you know, the hash to the sideline, and you have one read. If that's not open, you go to your second read. Simplify things, but make things a little bit more complex at the same time if that makes sense. So so I'm with you guys. Um I hate to break this to you, you know, Jerry, but he's he's still horrible. Gino Smith? <laughs> yeah. I think he was like twenty three of twenty seven today, but that was against the Raiders, so I'm not I'm not thinking that uh you know Gino Smith is the next Aaron Rodgers by any means. Yeah, he had a good game though today and yeah he, he had one terrible interception day where he completely made a bad read and you know they had Charles Woodson who's I don't know, like 50 now, was basically playing as a robber, and he just jumped in front of Eric Decker on an underneath route and, and 
Gino threw it right to him. I mean, it was a great play by Woodson, but anyway, back to we're getting off topic here. <laughs> but back to Kaya. Kaya can be a better college quarterback than what Geno Smith is in the NFL. I, I have very little doubt about that. But I, I want to see the coaching staff put him in more positions to succeed. I want to see the coaching staff do some creative things, um, come up with some plays where you're like, wow, I mean, that was well executed, and, you know, that was well done. And, uh, you know, I, I want to see the young man progress because I think he's got a great head on his shoulders. I think he's got the arm strength. I think he's got the accuracy. I like his footwork, although it did get a little floppy last night where he was kind of throwing off his front foot a little bit on some of the throws where his accuracy wasn't that great. But, I mean, he needs to be put in a position to succeed. But, you know, you guys are absolutely right um, about some things here with the defense progressing and, you know, for all the shit that, excuse my language, that we've been giving uh, Coach D'Onofrio, that defense looks for real. Um, through two games anyway. Uh, you know, against Louisville, they had two bad drives, and basically throughout the middle of the game, they shut Louisville down. Now, Louisville was playing a new quarterback as well. But, you know, if they can get their offense on track, you know, and the defense can sustain what they've done through two games against even better competition, uh, this can still be a salvageable season. They can still win the ACC Coastal. There's still a lot to play for. And, I mean... Uh, I, I, I'm getting off topic here, and I'm ranting and raving, but, you know, with what I've seen on social media from our fan base, through two games, it's like everybody's ready to throw in the towel, and, and I think that's a little bit premature. Uh, we yeah, have I was praising. Go, go ahead, Ollie. Yeah, I was praising today uh, the new offensive coordinator for the Dolphins, Bill Lazor, for his job against the Patriots, and I got, like, three tweets saying, that's our next Hurricanes head coach. I'm like, oh, come on, man. I know, I know. It, it, it's There's people petitioning to have Al Golden and staff fire. They want to fly a plane over Sunlight Stadium with a bat. I mean, come on, guys. <laughs> We're better than that as Hurricanes fans. First of all, Al Golden and, and James Coley and Mark D'Onofrio are not going anywhere, at least until the end of the season, at least. So you're not going to see a mid-season change at the University of Miami. So just give it up, dig in, settle in, you know, look at some of the positives. Sure, if they if they play the way they played against Louisville in two weeks against Nebraska, I'll be right there with all these people that are, you know, rightfully pissed. But I, I just think the fan base has gone a little bit off the deep end through two games into the season. That Not, not everybody, but a portion of the fan base has gone off the deep end. Uh I'm going to step away from this rant for a second to welcome in another one of our guests and one of our contributors on State of the U, Daniel Tumley. Daniel, welcome to the show. Hey, you guys. What's up? Hey, you stepped right into a firestorm. We're talking AQM. We're talking coaches. We're talking offensive creativity. Uh, what, what, what's on your mind through two games into the season? Um, I mean, obviously the first game was a disappointment, but, I mean, when you have an 18-year-old starter at the quarterback position, you know, just out of high school, what can you really expect? I mean, and then the, you know, the play calling was pretty bad. But I mean, I mean, we're one and one. We're you know probably gonna be two and one after this week, hopefully coming. And then you know we got a big game in Nebraska. But I mean, if we can become, if we can you know win the next two, and then you know two good in ACC, you know, which really at the end of the day is all that matters, then I'll be okay. But um, you know, we obviously have to make some improvements. And Kaya still 
he's still young, but he's getting better. Hopefully, I mean, he threw two picks yesterday. One was kind of the first one, I believe, was on was on him. You know, when he threw it in the back of the end zone, and um, you know, the other one when he threw to Walford, the tight end. Um, you know, that could have been that could have gone either way. But I mean, it, it's something to look at right now since he's thrown two in, in both games. I mean, obviously, the one against the last one um, against Louisville was a a forced one as well. He was just trying to get you know something in the end zone. In garbage time, but um, you know it's, it's something I'm I'm really that that Kaya he's you know he's been playing right, but to me like I'm just you know concerned about how he um, plays you know and if he's able to control the ball and not have it uh, be throwing interceptions all the time. You know when he named Kaya the starting quarterback, he said he's not a freshman quarterback; he's the University of Miami quarterback. And he made a very big point to not label him a freshman quarterback. They're certainly treating him like a freshman quarterback. <laughs> that's a fair point. I, I've heard that. I've heard that a hundred times, and that's one point I won't agree. I won't disagree with. It, it, it's absolutely true. I mean, if he's not ready, he shouldn't be in there. And if he's ready, he shouldn't be handled with kid gloves. That that that's that's the thing. I, I will defend the coaching staff on one thing. In the first game, I mean, the play calling was absolutely. You know, conservative. I, I can't even think of the right words for how conservative it was. But the protection was so bad. I, I don't know that you could send that many guys downfield. He was getting hit nearly every time he threw the ball. And I yeah. mean, if you want, my biggest disappointment this year is not Brad Kaya. My my biggest disappointment is not the coaching staff as a whole. Line. Offensive line. I I I can't get over. I thought that you know, first of all, Flowers. Feliciano and McDermott are three veteran guys. I know you need five good guys to have a good offensive line, but they have, you know, 60% of it ready to go. And then this goes back to coaching. We were told all offseason there all off season there would be a rotation of players, that they were eight to ten deep on the offensive line, and they only played five against Louisville, and two of them were extremely ineffective. That really perplexed me. That's something that I have no answer for, and I, I, I can't understand because – Coach Golden's answer on why he didn't play Trevor Darling and why he didn't play Casey McDermott against Louisville was that he didn't want to put them in that situation. But Taylor Gabois and uh, Danny Isadora are not experienced players by any means either. So the, the, the logic there leaves a lot to be desired, in my opinion. And then last night, the offensive line was not terribly effective either. I mean, McDermott had a bunch of penalties. Gabois had one terrible penalty. Um, there weren't as many breakdowns in protection, but, you know, I thought the running game was mostly the backs having to do a lot of it on their own. I didn't think they mauled these guys the way they should have. So that that's something that really needs to step up. Or It's going to be a long season if they don't, if they get the type of offensive line play they've gotten through two games throughout the season. They absolutely have to get better up front. Yeah. All right, so this quick. podcast if is you don't mind the one big go, – go ahead. Um. Prior to the season's beginning, um, you, know, you know, everybody's talking about, you know, everybody's, you know, getting excited at the quarterback position, who's going to win that battle. And they're talking about how our receiving, you know, receivers are pretty stout. And we have a great group there. And then, you know, the defense is going to improve a lot. You know, it seemed to me that, like, during the time, I was like, no one's talking about the offensive line. Like, you know, this offensive line lost, like, two pretty good players last year. Um, and I was kind of surprised no one was talking about it, but... 
you know, basically, you know, that's the main sticking point because if the offensive line would have done better against Louisville, we might have, you know, it was close, so we might have been able to come back and win that game, you know, after he had that kick return. But, I mean, because we hadn't, like, you know, Duke Johnson wasn't able to get any space, and Brack Hyatt, like you said, had no um, no time to throw the ball. I mean, you know, offensive line, that's, like you said, I think that's the main that's the main um, reason why we're not, um, you know, 2-0 at this point. All right, guys. So I don't want to turn this entire episode into a rant against the football team. We all know how we feel about it. We're all frustrated. Uh, how many of you guys today rushed to your fantasy football league and added Alan Hearns 15 minutes into week one? Say say I if you did. Nay. <laughs> Am I the only one? Am uh, I the only I, one that's the- Alan Hearns bandwagon? It's not a question of being on the Alan Hearns bandwagon. It's a question of not wanting to have anything to do with Chad Henney. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot I was dealing with, like, mostly Dolphin fans here, so that that makes sense. But I think you're going to see Blake Bortles before that season ends, and I think think Hearns is for real. I I don't think what we saw in the preseason in week one is – you know, after what he did last year at UM, I couldn't believe he didn't get drafted. Um, so I'm I'm a big fan of Alan Hearns right now in the NFL. Well, yeah, of course. Um, everybody's rooting for Alan Hearns. He's a UM alum. And, I mean, I can't say I'm surprised, you know, that how well he's doing. Because, I mean, for an undrafted rookie, I mean, that's, you know, you don't see that all the time. But like like you, I thought, you know, he should have been he should have been drafted. Well, you know, you look at the Dolphins, too. In the sixth round, they they draft Matt Hazel, uh, who's on their practice squad right now. Who uh, I, I couldn't give you three of his college highlights. And Alan Hearns goes undrafted, and he's becoming an NFL star. Uh, if you want to feel better, that played in their own backyard. If you want to feel better, go back when you have a chance and look at what the New York Jets drafted at wide. They drafted like four wide receivers, and, and none of them are. are a tenth as good as Alan Hearns. I think only one of them made the roster. And the guy that made the roster made it as, like, a punt returner. And the others are either injured or cut. And, I mean, they could have drafted Alan Hearns, like, six different times because they had so many draft picks, and they took a bunch of guys that weren't even good in college. One guy from Nebraska that never did anything. A guy from Iowa that, like I said, was a punt return specialist. They took a bunch of players that hadn't accomplished, you know, half of what Hearns accomplished. So I don't get it. So shame on the Jets and shame on the Dolphins, too, and shame on 31 other NFL teams that didn't take a shot on Alan Hearns, and good for Jacksonville. Um, that franchise certainly needs some bright spots, and they certainly found one in Hearns. Uh, let me start um, first with Ali on this question. Ali, I'm going to ask you, um, we're going to rewind, we're going to go back to the NFL maybe in a little bit, but let me ask you specifically about Virginia Tech, Ohio State, and then secondary about the Big Ten. Um, give me some of your impressions of college football so far. What are you seeing? And, you know, how terrible is the Big Ten conference? Well, I just love what Virginia Tech did to Ohio State yesterday, partially because I hate LeBron James. But <laughs> I think it's I think it's fantastic for us. I mean, Virginia Tech, now our game means something because they beat a top-ten team even though Ohio State had no business being in the top eight. But 
I don't know. I mean, Virginia Tech, they the game. Um, how did the game finish? They they won by fourteen points or something like that. Yeah, thirty-five twenty-one was the final. Ohio State, you know, kind of came back and tied at twenty-one. And uh, Virginia Tech's offense that played, you know, ten times better than any game that they played the entire season last year, except for maybe when they played us, uh, really looked sharp. And their defense really did a good job, minus a few, you know, lapses defensively. They played really well. So they, they ended up I, – I don't think there's any question that they outplayed Ohio State from start to finish, minus maybe a small lull in the middle. Yeah. If you don't mind, um, me chime in here real quick about that game last night and just Virginia Tech and, you know, in general. Um, but that defense, they, that Virginia Tech defense looks great. They look really, really, really good. I mean, they, Ohio State wasn't – I watched parts of the game and Ohio State really wasn't able to protect the quarterback. You know, Rex Miller's out, so how much can you really expect from them? But, I mean, Virginia Tech, you know, the last two years they didn't really do so well. I mean, obviously, you know, they still beat us, but um, – well, last year they did. But this, this shows me that, you know – Virginia Tech, they were down maybe for two years or so, and then you know now they're right back, you know where it needs to be to contend in the ACC. And as I mean, Miami hasn't been able to do that since they've gotten in the ACC. And Virginia Tech took two years to you know just restock a little bit and rebuild their defense or whatever. I mean, it just shows you that coaching really does matter, and you know they have a system in place and they've had it for a long time with Bud Foster and and their um their head coach who's been there forever. So that's all I really wanted to say about that. Yeah, Frank Beamer is who you're you're referencing, and and Beamer, you, you know, one, yeah, he's one of the best in the business. I don't think anybody doubts that. And uh, you know, as a Miami alum, you know, somebody that covers them, and and a Miami fan, you know, first and foremost, I'm not trying to compare Miami's coaching staff to Virginia Tech's. I think if they're, you know, with with the recruiting base Miami has, if they're half as a genius as Frank Beamer's staff, they'll be fine. So, uh, Scott, let me move on to you. What are you seeing so far in the season outside of the Hurricanes? You know, what did you like about Ohio State getting beat up besides the general fact that they did? And uh, any other games you want to talk about? Well, I'd I'd like to see Ohio State really get their butts kicked, but I hate to see Virginia Tech being the ones that do it because I kind of almost hate them just as much. Uh, so I really would have liked to see that being a high-scoring tie. Uh, Virginia Tech uh, goes way back. I, I, you know, I have a ton of respect for for Frank Beamer, him and his staff. They they, they seem to do an excellent job every year. You know, they're always going to be competitive. Um, Ohio State, uh, Urban Meyer. I mean, he's such a loser. I mean, he might have won two national championships, but I mean, he's a quitter. He's a liar. Uh, I mean, there's, there's just nothing good that I can say about the guy. Uh, he forgot about his disciplinarian, and I say that with a slight hint of sarcasm. About his what? I, I said you forgot when you're talking about Urban Meyer of, about disciplinarian, and I say that with just a slight hint of sarcasm. Well, he's a tremendous judge of character. We all know that. And... Uh, I, I just, you know, I, I don't think the Big Ten really had a, uh, a very good showing yesterday, and that could be indicative of the uh, season that they're going to be having. And I'd be, be curious to see who represents them in the Rose Bowl. Uh, I, I, you know, I'd like to see the, the, the power teams and the big conferences lose. Um, 
Yeah, I think it goes back to our days in the Big East uh, when we were getting no respect. And I'd like to see uh, some of the ACC powerhouses step up, just not when they win, they play us. Um, I think the SEC is still the conference to beat. Uh, I think LSU is is going to turn out to be a real power this year. Uh, I don't think Alabama is is everything that they're cracked up to be. Uh, you know, they they played Florida Atlantic yesterday. I mean, we could probably put a state of the U All Star team together and beat FAU uh, even on their home field. Um, you know, it, it's funny, but. Alabama and schools like that can play uh, cupcakes and nobody will say anything. We play Florida A&M or, or, or Savannah State and everyone's all over us. Uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's no doubt about it that there's a certain portion in the media, <clears throat> ESPN, <clears throat> that has a little bit of a bias towards SEC. I mean, uh, you know, it's like it's like Paul Feinbaum runs things over there. I mean, they're they're really all about the SEC. And the SEC's earned it to an extent, but if you look at Alabama's at-a-conference schedule, maybe over, like, the past five years or the entire Saban era in general, uh, they don't generally schedule maybe more than one game that's even considered remotely challenging. So, so I'm with you there. Uh, but rewinding to what you're talking about, if you ask me right now who I'd rather see win a national championship, out of Ohio State and Florida State, my disdain for Ohio State is so great going back to that robbery in 2003 and the Fiesta Bowl and, and the hiring of Urban Meyer just really made it fester even that much more because I couldn't stand him going back to the UF days. I'd rather see Florida State win than Ohio State. That's how much I can't stand Ohio State. So watching them lose last night, I took a great sense of satisfaction out of that and um, I didn't hide um, my lack of respect or lack of anything positive for Ohio State. But I want to ask you guys, I know you guys on here, I can hear the joy in your voices because we have several Miami Dolphins fans on here. I didn't watch the game. Um, my game was uh, Atlanta-New Orleans, and I'm not going to do the whole NFL package this year, so I missed the game. How the hell did the Dolphins manage to beat the Patriots? Scott, I'm going to come back right back to you on this one. Well, I think that what the Dolphins did was you no know, Sean Moreno had a breakout game, and he took a lot of the pressure off of Ryan Tannehill. Uh, and I think that the fact that the Dolphins had their starting linebacking core all go down with injuries allowed them to bring in better players. Uh, the, it seems like the defense stepped up and played a lot better once uh, Danelle Ellerby and uh, Koamisi uh, went to the locker room. Uh, and they put in Jelani Jenkins and uh, somebody else, I don't remember who, off the top of my head, who uh, took over at, at middle linebacker. Uh, but the, the defense played very well. Tom Brady had a sh- strip sack in the fourth quarter. Uh, he had an, another fumble in the third quarter. Uh, Cameron Wake just played like a ferocious beast. And uh, the offense, you know, uh, came back. They had three turnovers in the first half one right after another, and uh, it didn't look good. I mean, I was yelling various expletives at the television set, and uh, I didn't think the Dolphins were going to make it back, but they did. They surprised me. It was a good come-from-behind victory, and uh, it's a good way to start the season. All right. Daniel, what are you seeing so far 
in week one. We have games in progress. The Cowboys are getting their butts whipped all over the field by the 49ers. Uh, what have you been impressed with so far? I mean, I really haven't had too much time to watch football, but um, well, NFL in that case. But, um, you know, the first game last Thursday, this past Thursday, uh, Seahawks, you know, they really impressed me. I mean, they lost a few people on defense, you know. they Some people left, um, some of the players left, to, you know, for some money or whatever. But, you know, it's just impressive to see that, you know, they come back after winning the Super Bowl and, you know, they look so dominant again. I mean, teams that won the Super Bowl, you know, I, I think it's last four years or last five years, maybe even eight. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry about, you know, the, all the bad statistics here, but supposedly they haven't won, even made the playoffs the next year. So, so I mean, it's it's great to see the Seahawks come. I'm somewhat a Seahawks fan because of the defense is so ferocious, but I'm a, I'm a Dolphin fan at heart. But, um, you know, it's good to see that they're able to dominate as well as they did. But, um, yeah, Dolphins, they really surprised me today. I mean, I saw that they're down 20 to 13 at one point or 20 to 10. And then I, uh, you know, I was like, ah, oh, right, I guess, you know, it's over now. Because I think they were leading earlier, and I saw that, and I was like, oh, wow, look at the Dolphins. Then I saw that they were losing by 10, and I was like, ah, there you go. I guess uh, I guess they, that's the old Dolphin way right there. And then I came home and saw that they won, and, you know, that was a, that was a, a nice little surprise for me. Yeah, I, 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 you know, having not watched that game, just checking the box score, I, I, I was shocked. I mean, if I were in the suicide pool, I probably would have bet Philly over Jacksonville, but, you know, New England over Miami would have been my second pick. But I hate the Patriots almost as much as I hate Ohio State. Um, I'm not a Dolphin fan by any means, but if I have to pick between the two, I take the franchise that's not known for cheating. So, hey. <laughs> I was I was slightly you know slightly joyed to see that the the Dolphins had had beaten uh, the Patriots. But for all you Dolphin fans out there, you have nothing to worry about with the Jets. They barely got by the Raiders, even though they outgamed them three to one because of penalties and turnovers. Um, I think I skipped Ali on this question. Ali, what? Let me get to you here. What are you seeing in the NFL that you like or don't like so far? Well, I just love seeing Tom Brady sad. That's one of the small joys in life, but Cameron Wake. That's a great play. Cameron Wake. Cameron Wake was the main reason why Tom Brady was sad because he didn't let him do anything. And another and a pro Kane that actually did some damage too was Olivier Vernon. He was in on a couple sacks. Lamar Miller had a touchdown. It was just a great day. It's such a. It's so refreshing now that Jeff Ireland is gone because. There's so many things that seem different. All the play calls you didn't expect from last year. Last year it would have been run, run, throw, pa- uh, punt. Today we punted it maybe three times, four times, I don't know. But to come back 20 points unanswered against, 23 points unanswered against the Patriots on opening day in Miami, that's, I don't know. I'm just, I'm set for the week. I don't care if I get an F in all my classes. I'm I'm perfectly fine with Phil Belichick going home unhappy. <laughs> hey, let me ask you guys. Uh, you know, as a former or as a as a Jet fan, how did the former Jet uh, superstar Darrell Rivas do in this game? Ali, did he do anything? No, I don't think he was involved at all. I mean, he has, he the only person who the first half. Yeah. He did. Maybe not throwing him or what? Yeah, that's what I was gonna ask. 
he had, I don't he know. had a fumble recovery was... in the first half when Wallace put the ball on the ground. Yeah, I think Wallace was a better corner than Darrell Revis today. He did have a he did have one touchdown, but I want to see Wallace make some more contributions instead of getting the ball hit straight in the face mask. That was pretty funny though. <laughs> wow. So it's nice to hear, you know, some happy voices, um, you know, with us kind of doing what we do on State of the U. We we do focus more on Kane stuff. I mean, maybe not in our personal lives, but in our quote-unquote professional, you know, our coverage, we, we focus on the Canes, and there hasn't been much joy in Caneville uh, thus far. And I'm going to step away from the NFL and move to another subject that is near and dear to my heart, which is, of course, Canes Hoops. They haven't been in the news much. They did have a very nice uh, trip to Spain, and then the bad news for the third consecutive year, preseason, a key player gets hurt. First it was Reggie Johnson. Uh, then last year it was DeAndre Burnett. And now this year a sophomore uh, swingman, Devon Reed. Yeah, Devon Reed uh, had the dreaded lower extremity injury. Uh, to Scott's point, that's what we get from UM, the lower extremity injury. We have no idea. You know, if he has a torn ligament, a broken leg, or, you know, anything along those lines. Uh, Ali, I know you're very close to the pro basketball program, so I'll start with you on this one. Uh, can they sustain in this loss? Um, he's he's going to be gone for three to six months, or four to six months, I've heard. So he may come back in time for towards the end of the season. Would you rather see them redshirt him? Um, you know, how devastating is this? I mean, it, it's really bad because Davon Reed had made himself a leader coming into this year, and it's just really disappointing to see because he's been working hard. He upped his bench. He's gotten a lot bigger, and he just he just he was focused this year, and that's just really. I was calling the radio show for UM when the news broke out, and I was just I was just shocked because I had no idea how it happened. But I think we could come back because hopefully Angel Rodriguez's injury, uh, hopefully he comes back too. The way he, the way Angel got injured, that was pretty, that was pretty weird. He stepped on a basketball two days before going to Spain, so that's unfortunate. Um, but we we have some guys. I don't think that he's projected. Can... Yeah, I don't think Angel's projected to be out for. I haven't got anything on Angel from UM, but but from what I've heard from you and others is that Angel's injury is not looked at as serious. It's just looked at as something minor that uh, yeah. shouldn't affect him before the season starts. But DeAndre or DeAndre Devon is definitely out for a while. Um, yeah, that's. Are you? It's going to be. Yeah. So go ahead. Yeah, it's going to be tough without Devon, but Manuel Lecomte, he's going to be. He's going to be a really important player this year. I mean, he's probably not going to start at point guard if Angel comes back. But he had 27 points. He had, I think he averaged like seven points. And uh, in Spain, he had like 10 steals. He had a few blocks. Uh, I think he's going to be a really important player this year. And also uh, James Palmer, the freshman. That Absolutely. guy, he's one of the wettest players I've seen. He doesn't miss, and he's only, I think he's like 17 or 18 years old. He's only going to get bigger and better because he's already, I don't know how tall he is. He's, what is he, like 6'8 or something? I think think he's listed actually at 6'4", Palmer. 6'4"? 
Yeah, I think he's listed at six four, maybe maybe six five. I'm not sure. Um, I, I'm pretty pretty sure he's listed at about six four, one eighty. Um, he's known actually as being a combo guard, which is pretty good for a guy that size. Um, I think he can play some three though when they go small, which is really going to be somewhere where he can be effective with with Devon, you know, out for an extended period. Um, you're going to see him because he's a little bit bigger for a guard. The thing that hurts about Devon is Miami's a little bit short up front, or actually not a little. They're they're pretty short up front as it is. I mean, uh, Yuseda did pretty well in Spain, especially rebounding. Uh, Jakiri continues to make me scratch my head. I keep hearing about how hard he's working and and how much better he's getting. And then you know he goes to Spain and hardly does anything. Um, but uh, Devon and smaller lineups could stretch all the way out to the four spot because he's so long and athletic, and I think they're going to miss that. Um, I think you're going to see a lot more miss for Sheldon McClellan, who was all-world in Spain, by the way. I think he averaged, like, 20 points on, like, 65% shooting from the floor, you know, seven yeah, rebounds. Yeah, he was all over the place. And, actually, their second-best player was probably Palmer in Spain, although LeConte was very effective, too. If you watch the highlights, everything that – you know, every time they got out on the break, it was him starting it, getting the you know the the soccer assist, so to speak. Um, so you know, I, I think they can withstand it, but they're they're really limited depth wise up front. So it's not as devastating as if one of their front court players got hurt. You're going to see more Joe Thomas now. He's going to have mm-hmm. to play more at the four because they can't go to those small lineups with Devon at the four. So it, it, it's a tough loss. Um, I don't think it'll hurt them scoring-wise. They have no shortage of guys that can fill it. But defensively and for length, it's going to hurt them. Um, Scott, did you want to add anything on, on Devon Reed? I know you, you know, cover Duke and, and Syracuse for us, and, you know, you're pretty close to the program as well. What do you think? Do you think they can um, withstand this? I think they can withstand it. I think they have enough depth at other positions to where they're going to be able to spread the ball around and, Put the ball in the bucket and uh, you know do what they got to do. You know they're they're going to have a good season. I don't know if they're going to win the ACC uh, again like they did two years ago, but I mean they'll they'll, they'll be very competitive. And uh, you know never count Larinaga out. I I agree with you on that one hundred percent. You know I had an interesting conversation uh, with one of our insiders, uh, Josh Frank. I, I talk with him regularly. He's you know, a big supporter of the Canes program, and and we compared. We admitted it was apples and oranges, but we kind of compared Jim Laranaga and his coaching staff to Al Golden and his coaching staff. And I'll give you guys one guess where the pendulum swung on that con- on that comparison. Um, I, I don't want to again fall back into this Golden bashing that we've done plenty of today, but Laranaga and his staff seem to adjust to everything. Um, they were handed, you know, a, a roster that was almost completely lacking in talent last year and managed to stay competitive. And you can see what he does when he has any kind of roster at all. They go out and just win the ACC regular season and tournament, you know, in the same season. So I have a lot of faith in Coach L. Um, I, I think he, he just seems to find a way. And, and his staff under him, by the way, is extremely underrated. Those guys do great work too, Coach Huger and Caputo and, um, all those guys are, are great. Yep, I, I I forgot about him too. So, I mean, all, all those guys do great work. Um, 
You know, you, you see players like Ryan Brown who, you know, had a quiet three years at Miami, and given the chance, they, they get him to play to his strength, and he becomes, you know, a third-team All-ACC performer. You saw what Gene Larkin did between his freshman and sophomore years. I think Sheldon McClellan, you know, showed how much talent he had at Texas. You know, he has the potential to be an NBA player. He allegedly has a 44-inch vertical leap. You can see how smooth he is on his jumper. He can handle the ball. Um, he has a chance to be an outstanding defender because of his length and athleticism. And I think that's the guy that they're going to really, you know, um, focus in on and try and get the most out of. And, and he's got potential to be a star. So, All right, guys. Laranaga, Laranaga is such a good coach that he turned Eric Swoop into a tight end to the Indianapolis Colts. <laughs> hey, you know, I'm less impressed with that than the fact that he turned Eric Swope into a good basketball player because Eric Swope was kind of an end-of-the-bench energy guy, and there's nothing wrong with that. But, I mean, by the end of the season, he was like a double-figure scorer. You know, for I think like at least four of their last six games, he scored double figures. He had games where he had 18 points. He was poster-dunking guys. Uh, he was making passes blocking shots. I mean, they, they turned him. And, and to Laranaga's credit, I talked to him on one of the teleconferences, and he said, wow, I wish I could have, like, you know, harnessed him sooner. He, he's, he's turned into such a great player for us. You know, so Swope is a guy that wasn't recruited. He was actually one of part of uh, Frank Cape's recruiting classes before Laranaga got there, and he was an undersized power forward from the get-go, a six foot five guy, you know, trying to play the four that doesn't have, you know, Charles Barkley's skill set. Um or girth, for that matter, and they turned him into an effective player because the coaches on that staff will find what a player does well, and they will help that guy focus on doing that. Um, you know, they they don't go away from things that work either. You saw how they stuck with the high pick and roll. Um, just you know, I I I I can't think of in my time rooting for you know Kane Sports uh, a coaching staff I've been more pleased with, despite the fact that other coaching staffs have won national championships. So. Anyway, on that note, guys, I really don't have much much else for this episode. Um, is there anything else you guys want to touch upon? Anything you guys want to touch base on, uh, Ali, before we go? Um, not really. Just hoping Rafael Akbajori could be a good tight end, too. <laughs> I, guys, I, I wouldn't hold my breath. I wouldn't hold my breath on that one, Ali. And I'm rooting for, yeah, for Rock. I'm rooting for Rock more than anyone. But what Jimmy Graham did and what Eric Swoop's trying to do, the fact that those guys are, you know, able to make it look so easy, you know, doesn't mean that it really is. And I don't think that – I think what Rock has working against him is at 6'8", he's a little bit – I mean, Graham he's, is the he's same. Not as, he's not as athletic as Swoop and Graham yeah. were. Athletics not even the word I'm looking for. Coordinated is the word I'm looking for. And I'm not trying to pick on the young man because he's a great student, great kid. It's hard for him as anybody. But when you look at what Graham did, uh, uh, you know, on the basketball court, or you know, you can see where it would translate to football. I don't see the same with Rock. Uh, before we end the episode, Daniel, anything you want to add? Yeah, Hurricane Nation, stay calm. Everything will be okay. It's all a system. You know, it takes a little bit. It takes a little bit of time, and this Arkansas State this uh, coming weekend is going to be pretty good. I mean, their offense is nothing. Is you know nothing to mess with. So it's, if our defense is really you know 
really that much that really much improved and you know that's basically what we're looking for is a good defense and hopefully Brock uh, continues um on the path that he's going on right now improving um week by week and uh recruiting is doing okay i guess i mean bar milo that offensive tackle from Chaminade, um former teammate of Brakaya, he's an absolute beast. You know, he's going to bring a lot of fire to the offensive line. If if anybody, if I if I would ever tell you to watch someone's highlight tape, usually I don't really do that, but especially for offensive linemen. But this guy, man, it's pretty, it's fun. I've never I've never watched an offensive lineman's highlight tape, and like after watching, I'm like wow, that's pretty cool. Like this guy, he's he's really aggressive. He's mean. He's really mean, and um, he really slams his opponent to the ground every time. So. It's something you should watch if you have some time. So check that out. I will. I'll check that out. I'm going to check out Bar Milo on on YouTube as soon as we end this call. I appreciate you guys very much, and um, I appreciate anybody listening. And and we'll see you guys on the next episode. Uh, have a good one, right. Jerry. Have a good one, man. All right, guys. We balling, boys.